Did you t- ask the Ukraine to investigate Joe Biden? No, actually, I didn't. I asked the Ukraine to investigate the allegations that there was interference in the election of 2016 by the Ukrainians for the benefit of Hillary Clinton, for which there already is a you court finding. You never asked anything about Hunter Biden. You never asked anything about Joe Biden. The only thing I asked about Joe Biden is to get to the bottom of how it was that Lutsenko, who was appointed, right. dismissed the case against Antak. So you did ask Ukraine to look into Joe Biden? Of course I did. You just said you didn't. They shouldn't even have information. Uh, I've had conversations with many leaders that are always appropriate. Mr. Atkinson wrote, I set forth the reasons for my concluding that the subject matter involved in the complainant's disclosure not only falls within the DNI's jurisdiction, but relates to one of the most significant and important of the DNI's responsibilities to the American people. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. We rarely do this on Trumpcast, but today we have some breaking news about the whistleblower Ukraine Donald Trump impeachable offenses story. And we have the perfect person to talk about it, Susan Hennessy of Brookings and Lawfare. And we're just going to get straight to it. Welcome to Trumpcast, Susan. Thank you for having me. I think you were on with my colleague, uh, Jacob Weisberg, at some point, but I don't think you and I have ever done this show together. So it's a privilege. We have not. This is, this is all of my Twitter dreams are coming true right before <laughs> the listeners' ears. And I don't know what to call these circumstances that are coming to that we're coming together under. I don't know if this is an emergency or if it's just, uh, you know, Friday. But I got to talk to you about this whistleblower situation. I think this is the day that we talk to, you talk to me, and we both talk to listeners as if we're all 10. Because I still don't totally get this story, the chronology. August 12th, something happens. What was that thing? And then take me to the present. Yes, I'm going to go back even further than August 12th um, and explain to listeners that there are two different whistleblower laws that exist. Um, And so one whistleblower law applies to just every regular person in the U.S. government who might see some kind of episode of waste, fraud, or abuse. They want to basically paddle on the people they work for. And so there's a process available to them and a set of legal protections that say, hey, if you do it in this way, if you follow this process, you cannot be retaliated against for this complaint, right? Nobody can fire you for for blowing the whistle. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't work. Uh, The the intelligence community is expressly excluded from that law Hmm. because, of course, they deal with classified information. So they can't use the ordinary whistleblowing processes because they have special obligations to keep things secret Mm -hmm. and because they don't always know what's happening, right? So whenever you're talking about whistleblowing in the context of the intelligence community, a lot of times you're thinking you're you're seeing just one little piece of the picture. You're not seeing everything. And so it just makes it, it, it's a little bit more of a fraught process. Whistleblowing is really, really important important. Having these channels are really important. We can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, it's a different context. And so a separate law exists for this. And it's called the IC Whistleblowers Protection Act. And so what Got this it. law says is that if you are a member of the United States intelligence community, or actually any person who sees abuse related to uh, an intelligence activity, mm-hmm. and you want to whistleblow on this, and you think, it's, you think it's a concern, what you can do is you can go to the inspector general, either of your agency or the inspector general of the intelligence community, the person mm-hmm. who sits overall, and that's the person who we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. You transmit your complaint in a secure way to the inspector general. The inspector general reviews that complaint. 
And the inspector general makes a determination at that point. And he says, one, is this complaint credible? So do I believe that this really happened? Mm-hmm. And two, is it an urgent concern? Whenever mm-hmm. we say urgent concern here, we don't just mean like, is it urgent in like the colloquial sense? Mm-hmm. It actually has a, a, a specific statutory definition. And the urgent concern means that it is a serious, and I'm, I don't have the language right in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing here. Um, it's a serious or flagrant abuse, um, you know, uh, within by you know w- related to intelligence activity. There's sort of there's a, there's a series of sort of things that bring it within the definition. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there are a couple different uh, different definitions, but but this is the relevant one here. So, you know, is it a serious abuse? Is it related to uh, to an intelligence activity? And then the law says, okay. If the inspector general determines that it's both credible and it is an urgent concern, mm-hmm. here's what the inspector general does next. He transmits that to his boss, the director mm-hmm. of national intelligence. And remember, inspector generals and sort of the directors of agencies, there's some independence there, right? We, we want an inspector general to be able to sort of tell on their own bosses, but that's a, another story. But he transmits up to the DNI, and the DNI then has seven days to transmit that complaint to Congress, to the Intelligence Committees of Congress, mm-hmm. along with any additional notes. Now, the law doesn't say the DNI will transmit that complaint to Congress seven days later unless he really doesn't want to, or unless he doesn't agree with the Inspector General, mm. or unless the President of the United States tells him not to. There's mm. no provision in the law. It basically is just a ministerial function. It says, all right, the IG, the person who gets to make this decision, once they make that determination, all your job is, dude, Take a look at it and hit send. Why is that step even built in then? Why doesn't this the review IG... up to the DNI? Yeah. Yeah, because you, you don't want information to be going to Congress in a way that's outside sort of the, the, the chain of the intel- of the intelligence community system, right? So Got it. if um, important sensitive information is going to be turned over to a body outside of, uh, of the intelligence community, you know, they, they want to understand what's happening. Um, okay. And so the point here isn't to hide things. And again, when mm. the IG transmits this complaint, they take steps to protect the identity of the person who's blowing the whistle. Right. So they get the complaint, the substance of the complaint, but they don't know who it is. And the DNI might might want to lightly redact or otherwise trim or, or consult with the IG about specific details, right? Because the DNI is going to have his own interests. The intelligence community has its own interests. So there actually isn't a provision that allows the DNI to alter the complaint. Ah, it just says okay. the DNI has to transmit it. Now, it says the DNI can provide additional comments, right? So if the DNI takes a look at it and says, look, I understand the IG, you know, came to this conclusion. I disagree, or I think you should understand it this way. I think this is there's this additional context you need to understand, or maybe I'm requesting limited distribution of the complaint. I only want the gang of eight members of Congress to see this, you know, that kind of thing. But but the idea here is, no, Congress is, is the overseers here. The American people cannot know what's happening in this context. So Congress stands in the shoes of the American people, and so they need to see the full substance of this complaint. There's even another provision of the law that if the whistleblower thinks that the IG, if either the IG determines it's not an urgent concern, mm-hmm. or the whistleblower doesn't believe that the IG has fully communicated his, uh, his or her concern to Congress, mm-hmm. uh, the, that person can then go to the inspector general and can ask to be put in touch with Congress directly, and they are entitled to directly communicate the substance of their complaint as well. Mm-hmm. So there's no part of the law that contemplates that the executive branch is in any way allowed to prevent information from coming out. And in fact, it says that if this person feels like the full scope of their complaint hasn't made it to Congress, they get to tell their own story themselves. Got it. So... That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's worked for 21 years that this law has been on, on the books, and there's never been an issue. 
So what happened for the very first time um, a few weeks ago is that somebody submitted the complaint on August 12th. Mm -hmm. The inspector general made a determination uh, saying that this is an urgent, credible concern. Mm -hmm. Remember, the inspector general intelligence community is a Trump administration appointee, Mm -hmm. political appointee, nominated by President Trump personally, not the deep state bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. He took a look at that and he said, whoa, this is an urgent, credible concern. Congress needs to see this. And he sends it up to the DNI. Now, keep in mind, at this time, the DNI, uh, this is the, the period of time in which Dan Coates is resigning. We don't know if Sue Gordon is going to stay. She is getting pushed out of her position. So a lot is happening at the top. Um, that's not to suggest it's related, but just for some context of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the attorney and the uh, DNI, the acting DNI, um, uh, basically takes a look at the complaint. And something about the substance of the complaint made him say, mm, I want to talk to DOJ about this, hmm. which is itself unusual. And whenever we first heard that little bit, we thought, mm, like, what's going on? Um, we, can, we can come back to this in a minute, but I actually think the, the revelation that involved the president's phone calls starts to make us understand, right? He gets this complaint, it's about the president's phone calls, he's got some questions, and so he brings in DOJ. Okay. Regardless, he gets to the end of the week, and he doesn't transmit the complaint to Congress, which is what the law requires. Again, mm-hmm. You do not get to decide what laws you obey if you're in the executive branch. The president doesn't get to decide what laws he obeys. The law says you have to send us at day seven. Does congressional leadership or Adam Schiff, when does he get tipped off to the existence of the whistleblower and the IG report? Exactly. So we get to the end of this week. The IG sees that it has not been submitted. And at that point, the IG reaches out to Adam Schiff directly to the committees and says, hey, I need you to know I sent a complaint a week ago. The week is up, and you have not seen that complaint. Got it. And I'm just letting you know. So at this point, Adam Schiff comes back. He writes, he asks the DNI for additional information. The DNI informs him that he is consulting with DOJ and that he does not intend to, to, to transmit the complaint at this time. At which point, I think rather reasonably, Adam Schiff goes ballistic, uh, writes this letter that we've all seen, this public letter, sort of yeah. explaining and demanding that this complaint be produced. Um, and so at this point, it's pretty clear there's like a serious process issue going on. Like there is something really hinky going on here. This is not the way it's supposed to work. DOJ is not supposed to be involved here. The DNI has told Adam Schiff that he's been instructed by, quote, a higher authority, weirdest term in the world, Mm. but a higher authority to not Mm -hmm. comply. And he says that he's not complying because there is a privilege issue. So as Mm. soon as you see the White House asserting a privilege issue, and you hear that a cabinet member has been instructed by a higher authority, not Mm. many higher authorities in the executive branch, Mm -hmm. your spidey sense goes off that wow, we're talking about the president of the United States or somebody Mm -hmm. very, very close to him. So there were a lot of indicators that there's something really bad going on in terms of process. Uh, There's some indicators that this goes really, really high up in the administration. But nobody knew about the substance of the complaint. There is this really interesting thing to witness going on among legal minds like your own, which is you all just seem to be shuddering at this, almost worse than as the Russia stuff was leaking. You know, your colleague Ben Wittes did one of his cannon booms with this thing, signaling that it's one of the steps in a revelation, revelations about the president that will be, um, you know, kind of lethal to his tenure there or something like that. I'm not exactly sure what the booms signify, but I, I'm a big fan of them. And also, you know, there are people like, like 
like Matt Miller, who comments on the law, and Mimi Roca, just and and you just saying shudder, like this is really bad. And to I think to people outside that, it might look like this kind of procedural glitch. It doesn't quite look like the firing of Comey. But maybe you can tell us why this is especially serious. Yeah, so first, I think people already started to get a sense that there was something really wrong going on, just on the process file, because whenever you've participated in a system, you realize, like, a really, really important rule is being broken here, and that's a big deal. And, but nobody knew what it was about. And so that's why this Washington Post reporting that came out that said it actually involved a call between the president of the United States, we now know the leader of Ukraine, uh, and, and involved the promise that the president made to that foreign leader. And remember, the whoever, whatever that promise was, mm-hmm. somebody in the intelligence community heard about it, mm-hmm. told the inspector general, and the inspector general determined that it was a serious, an urgent concern, that it represented a serious or flagrant abuse related to an intelligence activity, he's doubled down on that position. So whatever it was, we're not just talking about, you know, he he wasn't appropriate or there was a yep. policy issue. This is someone saying they believe there's a violation of the law or the Constitution going on here. Hmm. And we have multiple people who've made that determination. Um, and now we see the executive branch going all in and saying, well, this is the president's communications with a foreign leader. This is the heart and core of executive privilege. So a little bit funny that not 24 hours earlier, they'd been making this ridiculous argument about Corey Lewandowski being covered by executive privilege, hmm. uh, because now we're actually dealing with an issue that really is at the core of executive privilege, the president's communications with foreign leaders. And, and we have this principle that we don't want other branches to be able to compel that information from the White House because the president needs flexibility, right? He needs to be able to, like, make make deals and, and, and have these conversations without being worried about his political opponents breathing down his neck. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, he won't be able to conduct foreign affairs. But now, as, that you point mean- out, as you point out, his political opponents are not the are not the, the either the whistleblower and especially not the not the IG. The, those are, you know, the IG is his appointee, as you say. It's not the as though Adam Schiff somehow overheard stuff in a meeting that Trump had with whoever and blew the whistle on it. It could be for partisan purposes. It's that internally they're coming forward with this. So it's that he should be able to make deals not only free of partisan rancor, but free of any kind of oversight. Right. And executive privilege doesn't exist so that the president can violate the law and constitution. He's not allowed to do that. And so what the executive branch is arguing effectively right now is that you cannot blow the whistle on the president. Mm -hmm. That no matter what this person heard on this phone call, and we can talk about what the substance of that might have been, it doesn't matter. That person is not allowed to provide that information to Congress. We have never heard an argument like this before. The closest we've come is the argument that Richard Nixon made uh, shortly before he was impeached from office. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason why you're seeing people's hair on fire is, one, the substantive concerns. You know, we aren't talking about, you know, someone who, like, is a a political animal that's looking to to sort of gin up trouble for the president. We're talking about, you know, an intelligence community employee you know, someone who is senior enough to be going into the White House and coming back to their home agency, someone who knows, you know, how sensitive intelligence information is, knows what these conversations can sound like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and understands the consequences of whistleblowing. And as much mm-hmm. as whistleblowing is, you know, we, we want to say these laws and rules protect people, it's a very serious step 
anybody who decides to blow the whistle understands that there could there could be very very serious career ramifications for mm-hmm. them. You know, and so this is someone that you know we should we should understand how how important and what a big step this is, and that somebody isn't taking this frivolously, mm-hmm. and that people above this person agree with their judgment. They saw whatever he showed them, and we now know that it's a male, mm-hmm. um, and, and agreed and agreed this is a big problem, and Congress needs to know. And so now we're all set up for a, a, a big and pretty disturbing fight that has really profound implications for congressional oversight, for separation of powers, um, and not to mention, the president made a promise to somebody on a phone call that made multiple people in the executive branch believe he had committed a crime or violated the Constitution. And wow. there's right. some reasons to sort of speculate on what that might be. That's a really, really big deal. And the government of Ukraine knows what he said. Other participants on that call know what happened. So let's talk about what we know about that call. Because when we first saw Schiff's letter, there was speculation that he had talked to a head of state. I mean, not speculation. We knew he had talked to a head of state or possibly heads of state and done something that raised this urgent concern. But now we know at least part of the story has to do with Ukraine. So tell us that part. So we have, and this is from reporting, so not not yet confirmed by the IG or anyone else, um, mm-hmm. but the reporting is, is that the conversation involved a communication with the president of Ukraine, um, a man named Zelensky, mm-hmm. um, and the specifics of what this was have not yet been reported, but the fact, the timing of the call and the identity of the individual has led people to believe that it might involve uh, Trump potentially withholding um, $250 million of military aid to Ukraine in exchange or in an effort to get Ukraine to essentially target in a for a uh, uh, corruption probe or for a criminal investigation, the son of Vice President uh, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. Um, now, I think it's really important that we note um, there is no evidence to support these claims, either of underlying corruption um, or that Joe Biden has done anything wrong here. Right? This really is a figment of the right-wing media ecosystem and of the president's imagination. But they've actually been doing this in public for a while. Um, Rudy Giuliani uh, essentially admitted uh, last night on CNN in a colorful fashion uh, <laughs> that he, and, and this had been previously reported, um, that he had been attempting to privately pressure the government of Ukraine um, to uh, to investigate Hunter Biden, uh, and 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 the the, the and there had been reporting that uh, the president had also been uh, sort of waging this campaign. He's been tweeting about it, um, you know, and that this is all connected to basically an effort to get a foreign country to investigate the the family members of a political opponent in order to benefit Trump in the upcoming election. So this is like, imagine if we saw the Russia, uh, you know, lawfare ruse, but, but like way at the beginning, and it was all happening out in public, and it was the president saying, hey, come on in and help me win this election. That worked so well we, last time. He, he, it, it, it worked out well. for him last time. It worked out for him last and, time. He said he'd do it again. Barr has been careful not to take any steps to prevent it from happening again. And it's happening again. Right. So we should be clear. We are speculating. We okay. don't yet know for sure um, what exactly 
this sort of promise might have been or exchange might have been and whether or not it really was tied to Hunter Biden, whether or not it really was tied to, um, you know, this offer of uh, the president has been holding back this $250 million of aid that has been appropriated. And, and I think sort of the, um, the worst case scenario or the things people are imagining might have happened, but we don't yet know, is whether or not the president basically said he would release this aid in exchange for this. Um, and so, again, there, there are public pieces. Um, but let's sort of take that on its face for one minute while caveating that we're speculating. Yep. Um, if the president really did this, if the president said that he was going to refuse to give congressionally authorized funding to a foreign country mm-hmm. in order to force that foreign country to investigate one of his political opponents, that's Earth-shattering. Right? Yeah. This is a textbook impeachable offense. I like. I like you. I mean, when you're at a loss for words, <laughs> then we know it's bad. Like you just a lacuna of radio silence when you confront this. And absolutely right. And also, as usual, with anything to do with Ukraine or anything to do with these, this, you know, making these deals to crush political opponents, it brings to mind the entire strategy of Ukraine and former Soviet states in elections, the, in particular Yanukovych and, Man- and Manafort conspiring to crush Yulia Tymoshenko. And it just, time and time again, this is the thing you do. You don't campaign out in the open. You, like, you, I don't know, you try to get dirt. You try to try to make your opponent look like a monster. And, you know, the, uh, what Giuliani said last night in his you know, very strange way is that he feels like, I mean, he seems to feel quite persecuted the same way Lewandowski feels. The media is unkind to him, so I'm going to do this back. And he really, Giuliani, seems to have convinced himself that, you know, the deck had been stacked for Hillary Clinton and now, you know, that Biden and Hunter Biden are these, like, depraved profiteers. And, it's just, it's through the looking glass to hear them talk about how they broke so bad, these guys. Like, they li- really are living in some kind of alternate universe. You know, I think you're being too generous to them, actually. Wow! Um, okay. I don't believe that Rudy Giuliani really believes that this happened. Ah, okay. I don't believe he really believes Hunter Biden, uh, you know, engaged in corruption. I don't think he really believes that Joe Biden somehow used his influence. There's something mm. in the record to suggest that. Um, I, I think they know exactly what they're doing. I think they are, you know, if that's what, if, if that is indeed what has happened here, um, you know, I don't think they, that, I think the idea that you um, are extending sort of the, the benefit of the doubt of you people actually really believe this, huh. yeah, I, I, I think that's being too fair to them. I think that this is quite calculated and, and it's why it's so chilling and that we need to be calculated. I have to, I have to confront my, you know, clearly I have some kind of identification with Giuliani that I need to talk you've to the therapist soft. about. Um, but, um, but no, you're absolutely right. Good. You've brought me back online. Of course, this is, you know, Giuliani saying last night to Cuomo that he is a defense lawyer. You know, he didn't say he's a prosecutor. He's very proud of being a defense lawyer. It's true. I mean, did Robert Shapiro think OJ didn't do it? No. So he's, you know, he's just, he's throwing things out there. I just find his brain, like Corey Lewandowski's brain, so frayed (laughs) that I am trying anything to make something add up. I mean, he's doing this thing pro bono for Donald Trump and 
it is <clears throat> incredibly dangerous to him. He's even worried that his tombstone is going to say all he did was lie for Donald Trump. I mean, he just looks like someone on absolute tilt, but that's obvious. So I'm excited to be able to say this to you. Okay. There is breaking news right now. Um, so the Wall Street Journal has just reported that Trump repeatedly pressured Ukraine to investigate Biden's son. Um, it appears that they are recording. They are reporting that President Trump, in a July phone call, repeatedly pressured the president of Ukraine to investigate Democratic President Joe Biden's son, uh, urging, urging Zelensky about eight times to work with Rudy Giuliani, his personal lawyer, on a probe, according to people familiar with the matter. So there it is. Wow. So we've moved from speculation to something beyond speculation. How many times? It says eight times on a single phone call. So again, yeah. we're learning this in real time, Virginia. Um, yeah. Just you know, bring the listeners into the experience. Um, yeah, this is the confirmation of, I think, sort of the the worst fears. Um, you know, look, this is uh, an attempt to, and, and I'm um, I'm paraphrasing my colleague Benjamin Witness, who wrote a really great, thoughtful piece on this on Lawfare uh, just this afternoon called "The Witness and Whistleblower: Some Thoughts." Um, and I'm actually he put it so well. I'm actually just going to read what he said. Um, this allegation, if true, and again, we now learn it is true, at least according to the Wall Street Journal, would unambiguously constitute an impeachable offense, indeed an offense that positively demands impeachment from any Congress that wishes to be taken, ser- wishes to be taken seriously. It would be impeachable for at least three separate reasons. First, because it would involve the extortion of a foreign leader for personal and political gain. Second, because it would involve the solicitation of a foreign government's involvement in a U.S. election. And third, because it would involve the solicitation of a foreign government's investigation of a political opponent in a fashion that grossly violates the civil liberties of a U.S. person, namely Biden's son. So I think that actually really sums it up um, in in uh, a, a pretty chilling way. Um, that is what this is. This is, if true... Um, <laughs> Devastating. An egregious offense. And it is the kind of offense that, if it doesn't spur impeachment, we're going to have to ask serious questions about the future of the United States presidency. Um, because... We have this system, and we give the president, and, the, and as the executive, in Hamilton's vision, this tremendous power and, and authority and, and, and sort of ability to, to act in, in unilateral ways. And we tell ourselves that it's okay because we have a check for this. Mm-hmm. And the check for this is the other branches of government, and the check for this is impeachment. And to not impeach for something like this would be a statement that this is non-impeachable conduct. And I already think that statement is incredibly damaging when you make it in the context of the Russia investigation and what was found in the Mueller report. Yep. This is black and white. There is a transcript of this call somewhere. There is a tape of this call somewhere. It is just astonishing. And so... That brings us to, I think, the peril of the moment, which is if the executive branch asserts this 
you know, I don't even have a word where it was sort of bizarrely overbroad. This, this view of executive privilege as encompassing all things all the time everywhere, right? Corey Lewandowski, someone who's never even been in the government, mm-hmm. this, this transcript, the ability of a whistleblower, like just absolutely everything. And Congress doesn't have the tools to break that logjam and to prevent the stonewalling and actually take action and then act as a branch. And we're in the realm of sort of lengthy litigation. I want your take on, and I'm, I bet your phone's now ringing off the hook from TV. Is there any move where the IG just goes to Schiff or the whistleblower just goes to Schiff? Yeah, so I think this is important that, um, that, that we actually you know, make this point, which is that, yes, the, um, the whistleblower could still go directly to Congress and the inspector general could still go directly to Congress. So the, the executive privilege argument here, you know, if you violate executive privilege or, or, or fail to comply with the executive branch's uh, interpretation of executive privilege, um, you don't go to jail, but yeah. they could fire you, right? So if you yeah. don't go through the whistleblowing channel, you could get fired for that. Now, this is classified information, so anyone who is blowing the whistle or or sort of acting in this space would want to be really, really careful. They'd want to make sure they were speaking only to uh, appropriate members of Congress in a classified space and that they were careful in the handling of this. Although at this point, um, the nature, the, uh, the complaint is on the front page of every newspaper in the United States of America. So, uh, you know, hard to argue for the robust production of, of sources and methods. We now know exactly what it is. Um, but this person is allowed to go directly. Um, and they, they, there's no sort of, and I've tried to come up with a hypothetical, um, I don't see any way that they would end up being prosecuted for that, or there's even a plausible argument that it's a crime, although you know, anyone should um, consult with counsel before you make that particular decision. Um, but that is one way that this might uh, be resolved, is that the IG might just say enough is enough, uh, or the whistleblower might just say enough is enough, I'm going to go forward, I'm, I'm going to tell Congress this story myself. Um, that said, now that there is such a specific allegation um, you know, I, I don't see how the White House can continue to refuse to produce these transcripts. And frankly, um, there's nothing stopping the Ukrainian government from producing these transcripts um, because they have a, re- a recording of that call and they have a recording and they have a uh, copy of that transcript for themselves as well. Um, and they are certainly not bound to honor executive privilege. So uh, I would be pretty surprised if we didn't see the transcript one way or another in relatively short order. Thank you so much for being here, Susan. I'll let you catch your breath or me catch my breath. And I hope we can have you back soon to talk about the fallout from this. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. What'd you think? Write some thoughtful things to us. Think them through. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And if you're still listening, just go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus and become a Slate Plus member if you're not already. There's just no day like today. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan in a flash. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.